Hey everyone, this is Achuta Bhava from Nightlight Astrology, and today we are going to take a look at a birth chart example from my client practice in order to explore Neptune transits. Uh, we're going to give some advice for dealing with Neptune transits as well as how to deal with transits in general. One of the most common questions that I get from people day in and day out is, well, thanks for giving me some sense of what the weather is going to bring, but what do I do about it? And I think that there is a few tried and true answers to that question in almost every situation. So we're going to talk about that today, as well as some specific pieces of advice that I tend to give people for Neptune transits. Why are we doing this? Because this week, uh, Mars has been square to the planet Neptune. So we have had a little bit of that energy just sort of in the air at the moment. And um, what I'm going to do for us is, first of all, just show you what Mars is doing sort of uh, in the sky at the moment. Let's take a look at this. Hold on just a second. Let me pull up the real-time clock here. I've got a bunch of charts up on the screen that we're going to be using today, so I'm just sorting through them. So let's take a look at the real-time clock and just show you some of the Neptunian signatures that are sort of in the air right now. Also knowing that we have a lot of Neptunian action this year in general, with Jupiter moving to conjoin Neptune, which is generally a very positive transit, but you always have to be a little bit cautious when approaching Neptune. All right, so here you can see Mars is squared to Neptune. The sun is just separated from a sextile to Neptune. So we have a number of influences this week that have touched on Neptune, and um, we will also be getting more. So if we go forward just a little bit, see as the year continues, in especially in the month of March, we're going to see three planets coming into the uh, sign of Pisces and dancing with Neptune. And then if you go forward to April, it gets really intense. And then you've got Mercury joining in its fall. Um, but Mercury joins in later on uh, in March and then go forward just a little bit more. You're going to get the conjunction between Mercury and Neptune. And then April is like uh, a, big, a big Pisces party. Venus enters Jupiter and Neptune are getting together, and then Mars enters, and you get a whole big conglomeration of planets in Neptune's sign. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit today about some of the positive aspects of positive dimensions of Neptune, but mostly the story I'm going to tell is sort of a cautionary tale. Um, but don't get me wrong, there'll be lots of very positive things to talk about, not only, um, you know, as these transits come along, but um, even today, I'll add a few positive notes uh, into the mix for us so it doesn't all just feel super heavy. But I'm going to show you guys a birth chart uh, from uh, my client practice, someone who has agreed to anonymously share some of the um, basic components of a major Neptune transit that they, that they went through. And uh, hopefully it will serve us in our studies and also just in learning to live with the transits in general. So Let's begin with uh, the natal chart on the screen. And thanks to this individual for volunteering. I'm gonna take out the outer planets for now. And we're just going to take a look at one particular natal signature. Now, this is um, an individual <clears throat> who you can see, here's Mercury's square to Saturn in the 12th house. Um, uh, this is someone who at various times in their life has struggled with uh, addiction, uh, substance abuse, or dependency. And so um, 
and this is someone who knows, you know, astrology. And so is able to reflect upon their own chart and noticing that at certain times in their life, when um, they, they've struggled with uh, drugs or addiction, that this particular aspect of their chart has often played a key role. Now, why would this be? Well, let's look at it very carefully. First of all, um, Mercury and K2, the south node of the moon, in the ninth house. Now, this is really interesting. Um, K2, as an influence in Indian astrology, is associated with the, the body that was severed off from the demon who tried to steal the nectar of immortality. So Rahu is the name of the demon. Uh, excuse me, Rahu is the head of the demon, and Ketu is the severed body. So what happened was, in short, this demon wants to drink the nectar of immortality and tries to deceive uh, Vishnu by dressing up uh, like a demigod, and he's really an asura, kind of like a demon. He tries to dress up like a demigod to cut in line to get some of the nectar of immortality for selfish purposes. And of course, Vishnu recognizes, and uh, in his Mohini Murti form, this is a feminine form of Vishnu, uses the Sudarshan chakra, which is the weapon of time, and cuts off his head. So there uh, you have the severed head, Rahu, which is often often represents uh, hunger, thirst, desire, um, in un unquenchable hunger and thirst and lust and desire. And Ketu, the severed body that represents liberation, moksha, it tends to the south node point toward material loss, um, but spiritual gain. Material loss, but spiritual gain. Or at its worst, Ketu can also represent escapism the tendency toward illusion and uh, the tendency to be swept off in otherworldly fantasies or sort of intoxicated by otherworldliness. But often it's a mix of both as well. So here we have someone who has always been interested in things like astrology and spirituality and philosophy and things like that, but also has struggled with um, some substance abuse issues, addiction. So I don't hope I'm using the proper phrases, but Mercury's conjunction with the South Node in the ninth house shows us the mind's interest, you could say, in otherworldliness, in spiritual realities and so forth. But it could also show a tendency toward, um, you know, getting carried away, getting swept up in uh, or intoxicated. Now that's intensified when we put Mercury with K2 in a close square with Saturn and Pisces in the 12th house. It's within two degrees, it's an applying square. And Saturn in the 12th house, isolation, uh, it's, a, it's a, the 12th house and Saturn together in that position can represent self-destructive qualities and uh, hidden qualities as well. This is someone who uh, you know, had to try to function in the world despite having uh, some drug problems going on. So the hiddenness, the self-destructiveness, the isolation, the you know this, the imprisonment of uh, these habits. So now this could mean you could in, delineate Mercury's square to Saturn in a variety of ways, but these this square is active in their life at the times when you know um, 
they've they've really struggled, right? So, so you can see the natal pattern. Now, um, you may know right now. Obviously, Neptune is transiting the sign of Pisces. So when Neptune made a transit of this Mercury Saturn square, this individual had a relapse, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. For those of you who are in living sober, for my, for I am, for example, I've uh, part of my journey with ayahuasca uh, helped me get um, move away from addiction to opiates in my early 20s. And, uh, you know, sobriety is a day by day process, even whether you're in a 12 step group or not, it, it is, you can't live your life thinking, well, I'm, I'm better than that, because the, the voices are there, the urges are there, and they can sneak up on you. Um, and so it's, it's a really, it's a challenging thing. And um, it, since I was, you know, in my early 20s, I haven't had any relapses with opiates per se, uh, not exactly. Um, although in, um, I remember when I had my kidney stones and I was given some painkillers and that was very triggering to have to deal with that. But um, anyone knows who's had to go through fighting for their sobriety in any area of life, that it's a struggle and sometimes you fall back down. So no judgment for anyone who's going through that process because it can be very challenging. Uh, so at any rate, um, a few things. One is that when you're studying transits in, uh, in astrology, I think one of the most helpful things that I've ever heard came from listening to um, uh, some Indian astrologers talking about the birth chart as uh, like a garden. And the, the planets are like different uh, types of flowers, perennials, or, you know, plants, annuals, whatever that, that come up uh, at certain times. You know, they say that one of the best, you know, it, signs of an intelligent landscaper is someone who creates a landscape around a home such that there's always something blossoming. There's always some color appearing uh, throughout the whole season. Uh, unintelligent one, there's only one coming up, you know, there's only one wave of stuff that comes up and then it's just dead for the rest of the year. You know, it's not, not dead, but you know, it's just, it's not popping the rest of the year. So the, 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 all the magazines, you know, you read, my wife reads these magazines because she likes this kind of stuff and they're dedicated to showing you, you know, which ones will bloom around which time keep this diverse. Well, the birth chart is very much like that. It is not the kind of thing where every flower in the chart, every planet in the chart is all blossoming at once. At different times, different aspects of the birth chart or our karma appear. Um, different themes are amplified. Different areas of life come up at different times, some more at some times than others and less. So um, that's to say that first is important as we're studying this chart today, because um, you can think to yourself, well, you know, I've already been through this particular part of my chart. I know that one very well, but it only takes a future transit with a lot of focus on the same area for a new layer or level or expression of the same karma, the same perennial flower will pop up. And one of the things that this individual was reflecting on, given that they know astrology was how they underestimated in some ways the potential of 
Neptune activating this part of their chart for a relapse or for that it kind of snuck up on them, that they, that they wouldn't have anticipated it. Not out of pride, I don't think, but just like any of us, you kind of think, well, you know, I know that part of my chart. I've sort of been there, done that, especially as you age and grow and get familiar with different placements in your chart. And you think, yeah, I've passed that test or I've sort of leveled up beyond certain things or whatever. And we think of the chart in a sense as a, a series of tests. And if you do them well, then you never go backward, right? But sometimes it's not that way. It's sometimes there's recurring uh, challenges. There's layers of the onion that are being pulled back. That at any rate, if you're, ever, if you're studying transits at home, just know that when a particular dimension of your chart is uh, amplified, you know, when, it, when it's, uh, excuse me, when it's highlighted by the uh, transits, you know that, that that area of your chart, no matter how well you think you know it, will often appear again for re-examination. It's one of the easiest ways to know, well, what dimension of my birth chart am I working with right now or this year or this month or whatever is to look at what the transits are saying and what areas of the chart they're highlighting. Um, and you can almost always tell that by, you know, a planet that's getting an aspect, usually from slower moving planets, because then it'll give you, it gives a little bit more substance and time to see that area of the chart unfolding. Um, but also aspects, aspects in your chart suggest complexes in different areas and different themes and patterns coming together to form a larger constellation. And then when a planet happens to be hitting both parts of that, Neptune here hits Saturn as it squares Mercury, right? When, when you see some, some piece of your chart being highlighted by the transits, you know that, that that complex, that constellation in the chart is going to come forth. And in some ways, there's no way that you can possibly prepare for or know what to do about it. You just sort of have to live through it um, and, and just know, okay, this, this aspect of my chart is going to be present again. Um, but for most of us, that's where astrology really does its best work is to say, hey, look, this part of your chart's about to be active during these times. And at the very least, uh, you know, if you know it's going to rain, bring an umbrella. You get, you get some sense of what you're, um, what you're looking at, what's going to become prominent or important. Okay, so let's talk about the timeline of the transits that unfolded around this person's relapse experience, which was um, a long drawn out thing. And uh, then get, we're going to give some tips for Neptune transits in general, Neptune and uh, also transits in general. So um, first of all, let me um, bring up, we are going to look at a bi-wheel in just a second here if i can there we go i'm getting my notes all set up here all right let's just see if i can sorry guys i'm just kind of kind of maneuver this a little bit here we go now we're going to add back in the outer planets and um Here we are. So you can see here is the animated chart, and we're going to go back in time to 2015, November. So 2015, uh, we're going to go to the, the relapse, which 
this person shared uh, a date of about the beginning of November. So the relapse begins. This is like, uh, you know, starting to repeat old, old habits, uh, something this person had been sober for a while too. So, um, and you can see here's Neptune over Saturn. Neptune is also squaring Mercury. And then you can also see that simultaneously you have Saturn hitting Mercury and squaring Saturn. So it's a Neptune-Saturn square in the sky that is constellating around this native's uh, Mercury-Saturn square. So that was the configuration present when this person um, relapsed. This is the beginning of the relapse. And I think um, it's also important to note that we have just as this is happening, if we, if you, depending on if you use the mean or true node, by the way, um, you're going to look at just within the weeks leading up to this, that K2 conjoins the ascendant. All right. So leading up to this, you have the south node of the moon, that, that, potential for moksha liberation from the body, but sometimes that same urge can be associated with drugs or escapism. Crossing over the ascendant, which is the critical degree in the first house, it's often associated with the native's body and their, their mind. So you have a strong K2 influence coming in through their body and their mind um, right before the relapse. And then you have, uh, again, 1st of November, you have uh, Neptune within one degree of a square to Mercury, while well, Saturn's closing in on Mercury, and then Saturn's hitting uh, natal Saturn, and Neptune's hitting natal Saturn. So it's quite the constellation right around this. Is, this is when the relapse happened. Um, now, let's go forward a little bit more. And also, um, this person likes to track uh, Chiron. I don't do so as much. Uh, any longer. I, at one time I did for a little while, but, uh, but you can notice that this person's also in the midst of a Chiron return. It's really an interesting point to make that they're in the process of uh, Chiron returning. Chiron returns often can signify a, a personal healing crisis and um, the transformation present in that healing crisis. So it's just an interesting side note. At any rate, let's go forward now to uh, a couple of years later. So um, this is going to be about just a couple into, into February here. Um, in early February of 2017, this person uh, continuing on their struggles with substance and drug use, which had uh, the, the relapse had continued and was, you know, something that they were trying to you know, obviously keep, keep sane, keep healthy, keep living a normal life while dealing with this under the surface. Well, unfortunately, the situation with getting the drugs and so forth led to being arrested. So now we have uh, Chiron, or we have K2 and Neptune together at 10 degrees, right over Saturn, two years later. 
Saturn is over Mars right here, which is not, you know, you don't want a malefic conjoining a malefic is not very often can bring with it misfortune or difficulty. Um, you also have a couple of other signatures. First of all, transiting Neptune is, of course, squaring Mercury. So still activating this part of the chart, this sort of complex within the chart. You can also see that very recently Mars has been over the ascendant. Uh, and so there's there, there's a pretty strong signature in here around um, uh, this complex in the chart being activated and, and a kind of a malefic quality in the air. It's also interesting to note that Jupiter was opposite Uranus at the time. And um, this person considers like, you know, in a, in a sense, what I don't want to say, put words in this person's mouth, but what I picked up on was that this was a, a moment in a sense of mercy because it, because of getting caught in this way, it allowed them to get sober again, eventually. So here's Jupiter in the sign of the balance, the scales of justice, right? Opposing Uranus, so the sudden moment of um, being apprehended by justice. And you can see that, um, again, like the, probably the biggest thing here is there's Neptune and Ketu traveling together and right over that natal Saturn, activating that Saturn-Mercury square. Person, you know, was not in their right mind for several years during this transit. This is someone who knows astrology too. One of the things they said to be at the end was, the big question is, how could I not have recognized <laughs> this transit and what was going on? And um, so, yeah, that's it. And that's, that's exactly what we're going to address. One more thing. So then finally, their sentencing occurred two years later. So we're going to go forward to, uh, you know, sentencing in the month of like, say like April, 2019, thereabouts. And I've shifted some of the details around, but um, yeah. So the sentencing, they ended up through, I think, humility, uh, probably a good attorney and through a real spirit of, um, you know, being humble and realizing like, I messed up, I need to be sober, like, this is not who I am. That there was um, a very, there was a very graceful sentencing experience, and um, could have been a lot worse. So then they were reflecting, well, what's happening at that time? You can see that a couple of interesting things. One, hey, look at there's Chiron right on the ascendant. So this is post Chiron return, Chiron conjoins the ascendant, and this person is sober, and they are given a lot of grace and mercy and forgiveness in terms of the uh, consequences of their actions. Um, you can see Jupiter is now over Mars. When Saturn was over Mars, the arrest takes place. Jupiter is now over Mars, and there's pardon and forgiveness. Uh, you can also see that um, transiting Venus and Neptune, and if you want to pull in Mercury, are all in that 12th house. Neptune is now hitting Chiron, and exalted Venus, good fortune, is hitting the Saturn-Mercury square, right? So... 
this, these are, these are, you know, generally good signs. What would be the natal signature of potentially finding good fortune or recovery or sobriety or being able to, you know, sort of turn one's life around uh, in the midst of such a thing? Well, let's look back at the natal chart and I'll show you. Like, how is it that this person, in other words, despite the difficulty of these placements, here you can see they're born with a Neptune-Sun conjunction, by the way. So this native's uh, question about how could I not see it? You know, it's like, well, part of it's also because when you're born with the Sun conjoined Neptune, Neptune is part of how you see the world anyway. So it, it, it's that otherworldly quality can probably sneak in a little bit more easily, I would think. But Here's the, um, whoops, uh, if we look at the 12th house, and this is just the way that I would do it, you might see it in other places as well, but if you look at the 12th house and you, you look at its dispositor, like who is the host of that Saturn in the 12th or Mercury in the 9th, and so thus the square itself, both being ruled by Jupiter. Well, we have an exalted Jupiter in the fourth house, an angular place, very strong, and conjoined with the IC. So there's a, a basis in the nativity of exalted Jupiterian qualities. Uh, you know, as a client, I know this person to be uh, a, a truly good person who struggled, like many people do, with the disease of addiction. Uh, not a, you know, in other words, not a criminal. You know what I mean? Not, uh, and so many people, of course, was one of the big uh, travesties in some ways of the way that we've dealt with drugs in the modern era. There's a lot of people in prison who smoked pot, you know what I mean? Or whatever the case might be. But at any rate, you'll also notice that uh, Venus, the goddess of good fortune, a bestower of good fortune and blessings, um, is also conjoined the midheaven. So Venus is disposed of by Saturn in the 12th. So there's going to be some uh, blemish to public reputation. But Venus is also the exaltation ruler of the 12th house, which means there's this way in which Venus will lift the matters of the 12th house up and indicates some degree of positive outcome overall. Uh, there's uh, some other good things in this chart that speak to me in the same way, like the exalted moon, for example, in Taurus in the second house, that there's resources available to this person that are um, probably going to be helpful. Uh, I think even you know, the fact that both malefics, Mars and Saturn, are disposed of by an exalted Jupiter is helpful in this case. But at any rate, um, so I thought you guys would enjoy seeing this. But from this, let's now talk about some takeaways, because I decided to share this chart because I had someone share this sort of through that, uh, the, the portal of the hashtag grab series. And uh, knowing this person as a former client and, you know, knowing that they went through this and I thought, yeah, this would make a good story. They volunteered it. So, hey, yeah, let's share this one now that we're talking about Neptune this week. Um, the question was, you know, as someone who studies my own chart, like how could I have missed this, you know? Well, first of all, that is the nature of Neptune. No matter who we are, I think as astrologers, um, you know, Neptune can kind of sneak up on us. It's very easy to get um, pulled in by Neptune, maybe more so than any other planet. And the reason for this, in my experience, these are just my humble opinions, is that 
Neptune transits start in very subtly and often many degrees before the exact transit, the thing that you may be intoxicated by, whether it's this actual substance or not, will start gradually working its way into your psyche or your life um, way before you're aware of the thing that you're becoming intoxicated by. Now there's not, Neptune is a lot more than intoxication. So don't get me wrong. In this case, Neptune shows up from the start of the process through the end. Uh, it's there, it's present when forgiveness and mercy and release uh, is, is present as, as it is when intoxication is present. So it's a very diverse planet. It can show up as illusion. And eventually it often is right. It's around when we become uh, stripped of our illusions. We, oh, I'm dis, I'm disillusioned by something. Um, uh, I, or I, or I see where I have been intoxicated or living in a fantasy and Neptune is present often. Like if you have a Neptune sun transit, I'm bewildered. I don't know what to do. I'm going to chase things that are, you know, I'm going to aggrandize certain fantasies and chase after them. And then by the end of a sun Neptune transit, you go like, well, why did I do that? And it's its last pass over the sun. You go, oh, okay. I see, I'm seeing clearly where my hopes and projections and fantasies sort of carried me along. And Neptune is such a teacher in this regard. It's not just giving you, you know, it's not just slipping you a cosmic roofie and then, you know, uh, ruining your life. Neptune will also deliver the um, the grace and the healing to understand illusion and fantasy in much the same way that the Seven of Cups in the Tarot that shows a man looking into the clouds uh, where the cups are in the clouds with all different kinds of fantastic creatures coming out of them and things. That card will often show up when there's illusion, yes, but also when there is uh, some deeper wisdom to be gained by going through the process of um, our fantasies and projections and so forth. So, you know, that card doesn't just mean illusion, nothing good comes of it. Um, so if we think of the gods administering certain kinds of experiences for the purpose and sake of our growth and learning, then I think we can get to the heart of why Neptune transits. It's like, well, that's just the way that Neptune works. If there's going to be a karmic season in your life where you learn something and Neptune is involved, be prepared for you to feel at a certain point, like, how did that sneak up on me? How did I possibly get diluted? How did I possibly go down that rabbit hole? And then by the end, you're going to go, okay, I get it. I, I get why that was grace. I get why that was God moving me in a certain direction of the universe, taking me through an experience and showing me what I'm susceptible to. It can make you more firm and grounded uh, mentally or in your, in your spiritual practices, in your commitment to sobriety or whatever the case might be. Also, as Neptune transits go, I don't know a transit. If I look at my own Neptune transits in my lifetime and so forth, I don't know of a transit that is more <clears throat> um, more about surrender and, and the feeling of loss of control than Neptune. You, you know, you only sort of win, you know, in a Neptune transit. If by the end you say not, not my will, but thine, if you say, I'm, I will go wherever you send me and I will learn whatever it is that I will learn whether, and if that happens because I follow my own foolish fantasies and I get lost, um, just please don't forget me. The number, I couldn't think of a better prayer. And it's a prayer that's, I think, common in many traditions, which is, I don't know what's best for me. I don't know where I'm going. I can easily be swayed. My, my boat, you know, is pushed by the winds of desire and fortune. And um, my mind is not a steady state. I don't always know what's best for me. 
I know Neptune is coming to visit me. Take me where you will, but please don't forget me. And, and please don't let me forget you. At some point, if I get lost in the fog, bring me through. Lead me away from shipwreck. You know, it's a classic prayer. Lead me away from temptation. We don't mean by that, you know, the temptation of uh, watching an R-rated movie. You know, <laughs> we mean the, the, the temptations of losing our way. And that looks, what does that look like for you, losing your way, you know? Well, Neptune is, the great prayer for Neptune, in my experience, at least, is, um, you know, if I lose my way uh, temporarily, please just guide me back. Uh, you know, please don't forget me. Don't let me forget you. I know that my mind and my own will and way may take me astray at times. So just please don't ever leave me. That prayer, I feel, is, is so appropriate for Neptune and Neptune's version of mercy, Neptune's version of teaching us. Um, we have to be willing to get lost if we want to be found. We have to be uh, in a state of surrender. This is one of the reasons I have a number of people in my extended family who are in 12-step programs, why I think that they work for so many people. There is this sense of um, being surrendered uh, one day at a time. Uh, I, this is bigger than me. There are things I can't control. Um, a seasoned meditator is in many ways not a lot different from a seasoned person who has checked in with their sponsor every day. Today, I'm going to try my best, but I know that I that the addiction can be stronger than me. So there's a surrender involved. And to my in my experience, if you're going to prepare for a Neptune transit in your life, uh, you can prepare knowing that that God is coming over to your house. And this goes for all transits, really. Knowing that the God is coming to your house, you say, I welcome your teachings. Please be merciful. Please lead me and guide me to my best self, to all good and divine attributes. And uh, please protect me. Um, please save me from the worst in me or, uh, you know, in, in, in the environment. Um, but also I accept and open to whatever you have to say or wherever you will bring me. And I feel, find that that is, the, that is the approach, the only advice that I can give people. People say, oh, there's a Neptune transit. And I'll say, yeah, okay, this area, watch for this, this, this. And I'll be like, oh, wow, that sounds like a lot. What do I do about that? Well, nothing, nothing. Just a God's coming to your house for dinner. You know what I mean? So be humble, um, be receptive, be open. Don't be reactive. Don't be afraid. Just try not to have any expectations and open your heart to whatever this, wherever things may go. And, you know, the prayer for Neptune, I think is a prayer for all the planets, but it's, uh, don't, don't, uh, don't forget me. I might go into the fog. I might get lost in something. I, or if it's Pluto, maybe I'm going to go to the underworld, you know, but lead me home. Ultimately I'm a soul surrendered, you know? So if we can take that attitude, I find that it makes it a little bit easier, but there are some things that like this person was reflecting in the email that they wrote to me and they said, you know, I can't say someone who knows astrology and should, you know, should have seen this coming that, you know, there's some things that are just karmic. You, this is just something that I had to go through. I, I see that now. And, you know, and that's the surrendered wisdom you could say of, of uh, Neptune. Also the surrendered embodied wisdom of that Chiron return or Chiron crossing the ascendant, even if you want to go in that direction, not that I'm at all an expert on Chiron. Um, 
Usually you're going to get some hints along the way with Neptune transits. Just because you know Neptune is coming doesn't mean that you'll see it coming. It tends to appear earlier than you think it will in subtler ways that build. Um, it's like slowly starting to get intoxicated sip by sip on a cosmic wine. So you're starting to sip it a lot earlier than you think you are. That's always something to keep in mind. Like I'd say within seven or eight degrees, Neptune's starting to come in. You'll start to slowly get that intoxication uh, if you're, you know, and again, some of that's beyond our control, but some of it also you can try to stay more aware of knowing that it tends, tends to come earlier and more subtly than you think it will. And also usually you'll get some bigger hints along the way, especially as Neptune approaches exact conjunctions, you're going to start to get, oh, I'm now completely possessed. And then oftentimes the desire to hide or to um, cover it up or to uh, try to make sure that no one sees you know, that, okay, I've been, I'm possessed by something, I'm intoxicated by something, and maybe it's not a substance, maybe it's just something else. But still, the urge, you don't necessarily want people to see all the time with Neptune that you're, that you're overwhelmed or possessed by some energy, which Neptune can be sort of all pervasive. And so that the uh, inclination towards hiddenness, deception, that starts to creep in as well. So watch for that. Um, you get hints along the way like that. And th those can also be like little droplets of mercy saying, Hey, you, you, you can help shape this experience. And, you know, maybe you will, maybe you won't at the end of the day. Um, I'm not, you know, again, if, if we keep praying in the right direction, and even if you're getting completely overwhelmed by something, if you can still just wave the white flag every day in your heart, I think that can do nothing but help as someone who's gone through relapses in my early 20s for the first couple of years even while i was drinking ayahuasca i would come back and once or twice in a year i might have a moment of going out and partying and you know just feeling like utter crap because of it you know and so that process of changing your heart changing your life requires that um you you, you just keep waving the white flag of surrender and saying like I'm in this to become a better person, but I also need grace and mercy every step of the way. I'm not going to get there. So please help and, and calling out for help both practically and spiritually, I think, um, you know, and watching for the hints that come along the way. So karma will blossom when it blossoms. We are here to experience karma. That's a part of it. That's, that's part of the deal. We do have free will. So how we respond to karma matters a great deal. And part of the way we are proactive with karma in our lives, according to at least my guru and the sages within the bhakti yoga tradition, is to be in the mode of a surrendered soul every day, to keep the sadhana strong, which is to say not that you're strong, but that your ability to hit the knees, you know, to, <laughs> to, to, get, to get on your mat, to get, to get into the prayer position, um, that, that you're, you know, if we can be consistent with, with that surrender, that being a daily, a soul's daily surrendered, um, that helps immensely in my, um, in my humble experience. So I hope that this has been useful for you today in terms of just working with planetary energies, looking at a birth chart, learning some things about a birth chart, talking about Neptune transits, um, my blessings and uh, deep gratitude to this for this individual sharing their story in such a vulnerable way. They're doing well now. So, um, you know, and uh, I know, I know that this person to also be a soul surrendered and a, and a soul every day experiences like this can 
take you to your knees. Um, and you feel like, well, I've already been to my knees with that thing before in my life, and then it can do it again. So hence the, the importance of, um, you know, for all of us, we, we take that as, um, not, not something to be afraid of, but something to remind us of the, the importance of, um, really recognizing that we are in the hands of powers greater than ourselves. And if we can rely upon the mercy of those powers every day, if we can say universe, I know you're guiding me along planets, gods, God, uh, whatever your religious path might look like. But, um, if we can, uh, humbly submit ourselves to that every day, the, the participatory nature the co-creative nature is there. We sometimes we act like the co-creativity of the universe is a given. It's not. It's a disposition of the heart and soul that starts with humility, and uh, and surrender. So uh, unless that's a practice, it's hard to actually, you know, navigate. Especially when very strong transits come in sometimes difficult areas. So anyway, that's what I've got for you guys today. I hope that this was useful. I hope you guys have a fantastic day today. We will be unpacking Mercury's upcoming station in retrograde uh, as the week goes on here and a few other things. So looking forward to that and we'll see you again tomorrow. Bye.